0: Welcome to Career Tipper Podcast, hosted by Michelle Beatty. The Career Tipper Podcast is a motivational resource that shares career and entrepreneurial tips by industry experts that will help amazing people evolve to their professional best. And now, your host, Michelle Beatty. Episode 19 of the Career Tipper Podcast features Dallin Vanterpool. Dallin is a private banker from the British Virgin Islands. He spends most days advising high net worth clients or helping young professionals build more meaningful careers as host of Focus the Fire podcasts. Over the past 15 years, school, work, and play allowed him to experience diverse cultures in the United States, South Africa, Latin America, and Europe. Since 2012, Dallin has been leading Despot Jazz, a movement to advance music, poetry, and other performing arts in the Caribbean. As a musician, he specializes in saxophone with training in theology and jazz. Dallin is going to share how self-discipline helps him balance art and corporate work. I'm your host, Michelle Beatty, career confidence author and coach. Dallin, welcome to the Career Tipper podcast.
1: Thanks a lot for having me, Michelle. I'm so excited to be here on the Career Tipper podcast. I'm I'm a guest today, but I've also been a fan of the podcast ever since it started. So I'm super excited to be on the show today.
0: Oh, thank you. I think it's a treat. Thanks for taking the time to support and share your journey of self-discipline. I think our listeners are going to really have a little mindset shift take place today. Because if you know, a lot of people are trying to launch their dreams, manage multiple Mm -hmm. streams of incomes, balance family, and sometimes they just need insight. So I think that you are going to help provide that because you do all of that balance your dreams, different platforms and a home life. So I think it's awesome. So before we get into all that, what was your journey to becoming a private banker? Let's just break it all down.
1: (laughs) Yeah, my my journey to becoming a private banker, I've had a lot of things happen in my life that were not exactly planned, but they worked out for the good. So I started out, uh, I wanted to be, when I left high school, my plan was to be a lawyer. I, I saw these guys on TV and I really wanted to, this is kind of old school. I used to watch Perry Mason and Matlock and these kind of old shows way back in the day. And I just thought it was so cool how they were able to maneuver things in the courtroom and just figure out arguments and that kind of stuff. So the plan was to become a lawyer. But just as I was about to graduate from high school, I started chatting with lawyers to understand, you know, how, how, did, how does this work? Is this a good idea? And a mentor of mine, who was, a, who was a lawyer at the time, he said, you know, there's a lot of people going to law school right now, and I don't want to discourage you, but the challenge we're having in the profession is that so many people are coming back with these law degrees, but they don't have any life degree. They don't understand anything about life. So you have a 21, 22-year-old lawyer trying to advise a 45-year-old business person on a billion-dollar deal, and they still live at home with their mom. They don't understand life yet. They don't understand money and these kind of things. So he said, look, why don't you go out and do a business degree, and the law will always be there, um, and you can come back and do that at some point. So squashed the law thing. Then I decided I'm still not following the instructions. I'm going to be a musician. Uh, my parents were like no you're not <laughs> we're not we're not paying for that right now you 're going to get a business degree, and then after that, once you 're employable, you can go and do whatever crazy you know you can go you can go fly to the moon if you want to, but you're going to get yourself some life skills that are that are invaluable so I ended up going to school to study business at Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. loved it there great experience studied accounting as a concentration and Throughout that time, I really got exposed to uh, the wider business world. So not just the classroom, but it was an eye-opener into what's really going on out here. I mean, literally, you know, Morehouse is a particular kind of environment where because of the connections the school has, you would be in class and, you know, you have vice president of G- J P Morgan Chase come to visit one day or, you know, the CEO of, of UPS come in to talk to the class one day. You just have these different people And you get to chat with them one-on-one. So that really opened my eyes to a lot of different things. Left school, went to work in corporate America. So I was an auditor, a public accountant with Ernst & Young. Loved it there, great experience. And again, being 20 years old, 21 years old, and you're sitting across the table from, you know, vice presidents, CFOs of major, I mean, major corporations. You're talking about, you know, Delta Airlines, Disney, Coca-Cola, and you get to ask them any question you want because you're the auditor. So they know if they give you a sideways kind of funny answer, <laughs> it's going to be problems. So they, they're actually more inclined to treat you like a professional and, and ask and answer the questions. So that was another formative experience. Uh, eventually, I got fed up with corporate America and I said, you know what? I'm going to seminary. I'm going to theology school and I'm done with corporate America. Um, sold my fancy car. Got me a Wrangler, which I, which I loved. And I decided I'm going to Emory to study theology and jazz, or theology and the arts. So that was a three-year program, which just took a whole different kind of left turn in my life. Um, really started focusing on faith, spirituality, uh, and my call for what I want to do in the world beyond just making money or beyond just you know earning income and all this stuff. Really started focusing on what transformation do I want to see in people? Not just in the spiritual side, and I was trying to figure out how I can combine these two worlds that I was really passionate about—the business world, the faith world, you know, the office life plus the personal life. Um, and during that time, that degree ended up taking me to live in Istanbul, Turkey, for a while to study some different things. And again, all these times you're just collecting coins along the way—collecting coins of experience, collecting coins of understanding people, different religions, faith, and just seeing what's going on. Eventually. Moved back home to the British Virgin Islands, went back into accounting for a while with BDO, loved it. And suddenly I decided I didn't want to be on the side of just counting money anymore. Uh, I want to be on the side of actually helping people to make the money. And opportunity came up to jump into the private banking world, which I had never done before. Um, but, you know, opportunity comes up, you say yes and then figure out how to do it later. <laughs> So fortunately I was able to convince them to take a chance on me even though I was this crazy kid coming in from the accounting world with zero banking experience um and got into the private banking world with a bank out of Liechtenstein BP Bank and loved it loved it since then um the opportunity to be if you put it in the sports terms to be on the offense rather than just the defense and I think banking has been over the past I don't know 3 years here the most uh the most the most interesting experience, because now you're really getting to see how money and finances intersects with people's lives. You know, When you have a client come in to say, hey, I have my daughter, she's 10 years old, and I'm worried that I'm not going to have enough money to send her to college when she turns 18. Can you help me with that? And when you're able to sit down and take somebody's you know, nest egg of however many thousand dollars and structure a way for them to grow that, to meet the cost of college in 10 years. you know that's the kind of stuff that's not just, hey, I'm helping people make money. You're helping to send a child to school. And that, for me, is the, the deeper part of it. So that's my journey and how I got into this crazy private banking world.
0: I love it. And I know that you share a lot. You educate. I know like anyone that follows you on LinkedIn. So listeners, I encourage you to follow and- follow Dallin on LinkedIn because he shares a lot of information in regards to understanding the logistics of banking and how it impacts you personally and professionally. Um, He really takes the time to put out content that is easy to understand, and how it can apply to you and how can and things you might need to think about or consider or from just uh, understanding um, how it impacts you from a global perspective and local perspective. So maybe you can make possibly consider making different decisions for yourself, or being at peace with the decisions that you have made for yourself.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we try to, I'm the kind of person where I am excited about seeing transformation in other people's lives so i'm always trying to i I have issues being one of those social media people that's like look at me look at me hey i'm taking a selfie look at me i I just it feels very weird to me so my social media you know you know space or my the only way i can feel comfortable with sharing something is if i can say before okay how is this going to add value to someone else Otherwise, it feels weird to me. Just to, hey, here's a here's an awkward picture of my face. I, I just can't do that. So I'm always trying to trying to go the other way and add value to somebody else with whatever I'm sharing or putting out there.
0: I think it's important to pay it forward in every way possible. So I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Now, I know you're a saxophonist, so what was that journey to becoming a saxophonist? I want to paint the full landscape of Dallin and this self-discipline piece. So, we know you're a private banker and you're a saxophonist, so what was that journey?
1: So, the journey, funny story on this one. So, here I am, picture it, I'm I'm like the Golden Girls right now, Sophia from the Golden Girls, picture it, you know, Uh it was, you know, 1990 or whatever, and I'm in the youth choir for my church And we decided we're going on a trip to New Jersey. Now, I had an older cousin. He was three years older than me. Steven, if you end up listening to this podcast, I'm sure you know I'm still mad at you about this. So I have an older cousin who played the saxophone. And we go on this trip. At this point, you know, this is before my voice changed. I'm singing like, you know, second alto in a choir or something. (laughs) And we get to this trip and we meet this super, I mean, at at the time, I, I just thought this was the cutest girl I had ever seen, right, in New Jersey. And we do our first concert. And I sang a solo in this little song. And she's talking to me after church. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm the man. I'm cool. I'm 10 years old at this point or 9, nine or 10 years old. Like, yeah, I'm cool. But the second concert the night after, my cousin gets up and he plays his saxophone. And this young lady dropped me. I mean, she, she just forgot about me. <laughs> she just like, I, I don't think she talked to me for the rest of the week. It was just over. All of a sudden, she's all over my cousin with the saxophone. And that was the golden moment where I decided, you know what? I'm not going out like this ever again. I'm going to learn how to play the saxophone. And that that honestly is how it kind of got started. Um, (laughs) So I got into high school and, you know, in the British Virgin Islands, the music program is is extremely elaborate. It's very, it's very intense. We have people who have gone on to do study at Berkeley, Berkeley School of Music and all this stuff. So it's very intense. And I picked up the saxophone. A buddy of mine, Kamau Georges, who was my teacher at the time, he started teaching me how to play. Um, and within a year, went from you know went from just trying to learn how to play to being on stage performing with him. Now I sounded like crap, but you know you had the the courage to get up there, and that's kind of where the self discipline came in. One of the things, that, one of the handicaps, so to speak, that I had, that when I was very young I had surgery on one of my hands, so I have two fingers. That because of that surgery, they move a little bit slower than the other fingers. Now you can imagine as a musician. If you're trying to, you know, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do on a, on a saxophone and it's more like do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. It's going to get a little weird if you have two fingers that are moving more slowly. But this guy, come on, he didn't, he didn't let me have any kind of special, uh, special privileges. He said, look, you got to keep up with the class. You got to do whatever you got to do. If you have to practice harder than everybody else just to sound average, do what you got to do. I'm not, I'm not easing up on you. And that's where this whole self discipline thing came in, where you move from being the person that had the handicap, but because of the amount of discipline that you're able to show, your work ethic, you end up being top of the class and going on to perform in, you know, Las Vegas and South Africa, all these different places. Um, so that was the musical journey uh, for me.
0: So your music, not necessarily your corporate career, has led you all over the world.
1: Yeah, it's been a little bit of both. It's been a little bit of both. It started out as um, the music side of it, but it's interesting how the music would be a lot of times the X factor that would open different opportunities. For example, I will be performing somewhere. You're doing a high-end gig at a you know at a, at a mega yacht club or something, and because because you're the saxophone player, people read different things into that. Yeah, they see that you're a good musician. But they say, oh, okay, well, this person is probably very disciplined in in order to be able to do that. Or you just end up rubbing shoulders with a different clientele. So, you know, hey, so how did you, you know, this person who has a $50 million mega yacht, they probably have some kind of business. So you end up having these kind of relationships where you're playing golf or you you have a a close email back and forth relationship with some pretty high rollers. Um, Or practical example. You get to a job interview or the final round of job interviews, especially when you're doing things with, um, with, with you know, larger companies. And at some point, the last five people, the last four people, you're all smart. They like all of you. You all have good grades. You all went to a good school. So what is the thing that's going to separate you from the rest of these folks? Everybody's talking about their grades and their GPA or you know, this project that they just led. And then they look down your, your your resume, and they're like, "Okay, this guy is interesting. He has a Royal School of Music certificate in what? Like, huh, okay, can we talk about that?" So you end up having this little X factor that gets you past other people. Or when I moved to Latin America last year, moved down here, you don't. My Spanish was not, still is not, <laughs> perfect. And you move to Latin America and you're, you're the new guy. Not only knew that you're the only person who just joined the company, but you're the only guy in the whole office that's not from Latin America. And you're trying to find a way to carve through the traffic and, become, and get noticed by the CEO, by the bosses. So, of course, Christmas party, first Christmas party. I've been in the company now for you know seven weeks, eight weeks. What do you do? Unannounced, walk up on the stage with your saxophone and rock it. All of a sudden, yeah, everybody knows who you are <laughs> very, very, very quickly. Um, and from there, you end up having a conversation with the CEO the next week or the president of the company. You know, hey, how was the party? Yeah, yeah, I saw what you did. That's interesting, man. So where did you learn to do that? Now, the conversation starts for the first 30 seconds about saxophones and music. Then it's, hey, so tell me a little bit more about the company. And all of a sudden, you're moving into that, what we call on right here, that, that circle of that inner circle, because now you have a casual reason to speak to the CEO that gets you into more serious stuff.
0: I love it. What a great share. Um, and I think anyone out there that might not look at something they do outside of work as a game changer, I hope that your share makes them relook at what they do. Um, yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's whatever you're doing outside the office, the important thing is to have something that carries over. So if you whatever you do outside the office, make sure it's high quality. Make sure you're doing it at a high level so, so people can see the level of skill, the level of passion that you put into that and they'll say, "Hmm, maybe that'll transfer over to what I'm trying to get them to do in here." So, you know, don't be afraid of your hobbies and different things you want to do outside the office. There's def- there're definitely ways to bridge the gap and have them complement each other.
0: Indeed. So you got to be disciplined and consistent. So yeah. Which is awesome. Now, the third factor to your landscape professionally is your podcast to focus the fire. So out of being a professional musician, a private banker, where did you decide to um, create the discipline to add a podcast to that as well?
1: Yeah, the podcasting side of it, I was I was really interested in figuring out how I can help more people. Now, you can do the whole, I was doing some mentor things where, you know, I had a couple of young people that they were coming to ask me questions or take them to lunch. We have different, different kind of meetings where we, we follow up and help, help them chart their course. But, Growing up on a small island, now I live in the British Virgin Islands, for folks who are listening to this and they don't know where that is. The British Virgin Islands is 60 miles east of Puerto Rico. So if you know where Puerto Rico is, we're just off to the side of Puerto Rico, a 20-minute flight, uh, in case you want to you know, stop by and visit, free commercial. Um, but growing up on a small island, literally the island I came from, we're, we're a group of 60 different islands, more or less, and the island I came from was the biggest one. And when I say biggest, the biggest one is 26 square miles. And you're talking about a population for the entire territory, entire country of about thirty thousand people. So this is, for some people, this is their neighborhood. This is not a country. You know what I mean? So I'm trying to figure out, sitting there, how can I scale this up and get my little voice, my message? Get, how can I get this out of this little island and start reaching more people? Um, and. Travel wasn't really an option because, I mean, what are you going to do? Just travel around the world. I didn't have the money to be hopping around to go on planes doing a, a book tour or a speaking tour. So I said, how can I get this started? And a friend of mine in New York, she said to me, hey, do you, you, know, do you listen to podcasts? And she recon- recommended one to me. And then the light bulb went off like, hey, instead of listening to podcasts, maybe I can figure out how to do this as well. Because through the internet… I can stay on a tiny island and end up reaching people all over the world, like Michelle, like Michelle Beatty over here at the Career Tipper podcast. Um, So that's how the journey with that got started, and it it seemed to me to be a very interesting medium because it's it's not saturated to the point where it's the it's the old thing. I think it still has room to grow, and the accessibility of it. I mean, literally. You know, if you can say something, you can sit in a room and record something on a computer, push a button, and all of a sudden, literally millions of people have the potential to have your voice on their cell phone all over the world, like, hey, that's huge for me. Um, so that's, that was one of the things that really got me into the podcasting side of it and really trying to find a medium to educate and inspire folks to take their life, as we say on my podcast, from average to amazing, uh,
0: I'm all about average to amazing. Mm-hmm. I think everyone needs to, you know, everyone's life journey is different for various reasons, but I feel like it, you don't get a pass on not trying to be your best.
1: Right, right. And I, I realized, too, in terms of the niche and the need of the podcast, there are a lot of folks who, you know, you have good grades in school or you're a generally smart person, but i started realizing there are a lot of smart people that are not at the top of the food chain i mean there are a lot of smart people that are not getting paid a lot of money and i started thinking to myself what what is up with that what is what are they missing what's the reason what's the x factor what's the what are the little things that they are not privy to what separates somebody from being an associate lawyer versus the person who made partner you know what i mean what 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 is that extra finesse that this person has so i started doing a lot of research everything from educating myself, reading a bunch of books, interviewing offline people that I know that were excelling in their careers. So on the podcast now we take that information, whether it's from the books, from you know, CEOs, partners at law firms, people who hire up in the food chain, and distill it into these twenty minute more or less packages um, that say, hey look, here are these here's the essential career advice that you need to enjoy a meaningful career, because I'm big on having people enjoy meaningful work, not just like you're getting paid a bunch of money but you're not (laughs) doing anything that matters. A meaningful career that leads to more time, money, and freedom. Those are the three things we talk about over on Focus the Fire podcast all the time. So the time side, because you don't want to be rich, but then you're just a, a highly paid slave where you're working for a company, you have no life, but you're just paid, you can't even enjoy it. Um, so you need the money side of it, the time side of it. You need the money side because let's just be realistic. You can have the biggest heart in the world and the biggest dreams, but if you don't have the resources to execute, it's not gonna be cool. So you need the money and then you need the freedom. I'm big on having the freedom to choose how you wanna spend your time. Where if you decide this week, Michelle says, hey look, I wanna work very hard, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just stay up all night, cool. But if she also decides the following week that she's going to relax and work four days a week, I want her to have that freedom as well. So that's the direction we're trying, to, we're trying to go in, where you have more agency in your career and your life.
0: I think that's key. And I am a podcaster that believes in supporting other podcasters. And I always encourage um, listeners and others that I interact with daily. I'm like, listen to a medley of professional development podcast. And just listen to mine. I do recommend Focus to Fire because I think you can take all these different nuggets of how to evolve to your professional best, how to go from average to amazing. And I think eventually it creates this nice whirlwind of push, right? Push to action. Then you're like, it clicks and then you make a shift. That shift could be just learning another language. That shift could be listen more and talk less. It could be something very simple. Um, it could be working on how you write your emails, your tone, um, causing you to reflect more. So, and it all takes you to that next level of what that is. So I think everything that Dallin is sharing, I think it just complements things that I share as well, just because you, it it's, it's a lot of mini efforts that lead to one amazing effort.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So important. Now, Dallin, how has being disciplined helped you excel? Because, you know, you really have three platforms. You have your corporate workplace, you have Mm. your music and you have your podcast. So how has discipline helped you excel and manage that?
1: Yeah, it can get a little hectic sometimes. (laughs) Uh, I I will admit that it can get a a little or a lot hectic. Uh, But the discipline side of it, my my take on discipline, and we have an episode on this over at Focus of Fire, is, is People think passion is the most important thing. Like, oh, you're passionate about corporate world and banking. Or you're passionate about music. Or you're passionate about podcasting. Passion is, is something, it, it, it goes and comes. Not that it disappears completely, but it, it, it ebbs and flows. Maybe that's a better way to put it. It ebbs and flows. <laughs> and there are going to be times where, I mean, you know, I'm still passionate, but I just don't really feel like doing this right now. Or I'm passionate, but this is just hard. Or I'm passionate, but this is not making money. So you got to figure out something deeper that, that triggers you and locks you into doing what you have to do, regardless of whether you feel like doing it, you know. So from that side, I've taken the discipline of music that says, hey, if you have to learn a particular piece of music or you need to learn a particular skill, you know, you have to do what you have to do. And it's not something where you can wait to the last minute and then suddenly, you know, figure it out. In music, you can't, old, you can't pull an all-nighter and type out a paper and just, it'll be cool. If you, if you see someone on stage, if they didn't put in that consistent, small, repetitive time over a broader space of time before, if they weren't disciplined before, it's gonna show up on stage. And being in music, you know, especially when you're talking about jazz, you, like, people are gonna know when you don't know what you're doing. A lot of times in jazz, it's improvised um, to a large degree. So you, a lot of times, there's, sometimes you don't have a piece of paper in front of you to remember what to play or to tell you exactly what to do. So the only thing you have to rely on is the discipline and the skills that you've practiced before. And that's what you kind of compress and then use to perform on stage. So that same kind of discipline that says, look, you need to learn how to do things that are extremely boring. And I think this is an important piece right here. You got to learn how to survive doing things that are extremely boring so that you can be really good at doing the things that everybody thinks look cool. So if you see someone on stage, I mean, this is, this is people won't even realize, like, if you see someone on stage and they're burning it up, they're rocking out, doing all this cool stuff, they got the sunglasses on. Yeah, the the way to get to the point where you can do that and it sounds good is to sit down doing extremely boring stuff like, today, we're going to practice the note B. And only B, And that's the only thing we're going to play for the next eight hours. Over and over and over. We're going to play it long. We're going to play it short. We're going to play it loud. We're going to play it soft. We're going to play it high. We're going to play it... So you spend eight to 12 hours on one note. And that sounds absolutely crazy. But that's where the discipline comes in. Because when you're on stage and that adrenaline starts going and the pressure and the nervousness hits you, you can play B all day. Because I can play B for a minute because I, I just played it for 12 hours. So that skill is ingrained in you from the discipline. So take that now, transfer it over to the corporate world. And, you know, it sounds cool to get up and give a cool presentation in the office, but the part that takes the discipline now is doing the research ahead of time. Sitting down on a Bloomberg terminal and doing the research, taking what the client said and trying to synthesize that. Um, you know, doing all the stuff in Microsoft Excel, my, my favorite little world, sitting down crunching numbers. That stuff is not, I'm not going to lie, it's not fun. It's not cool. <laughs> Sometimes it's not interesting. But it's part of the discipline that gets you to the point where you can do the cool stuff. So you take that kind of music discipline of not procrastinating and being able to uh, to harness or to, to 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 overcome your emotion when you feel like not doing something, and realize this is not about what you feel like doing; it's about doing what you have to do, so that eventually you can do what you want to do.
0: High five! Boom! <laughs> Got it. <laughs> High five! Okay, dylan What is your why that keeps you focused on developing and maximizing your talents, corporately and civically? Like I understand you need it to be of excellence, a demonstration of excellence, but what keeps what makes it your ongoing why? I think a
1: lot about my funeral. You know, I, that might sound a little bit crazy, but I, I really sit down a lot of times and I think about I think about my funeral and I think about funerals that I've had to attend, and the kinds of things that are said. But more importantly, the things that are are not said. You know, I, I think we can live life and go through life doing a whole bunch of stuff. We're busy, we're corporate worlding, we're making money, blah, 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 blah. But I think a lot about the story that I want to be told about the time I had here on The Rock. And to me, you can have that story be about money. Oh, you know, he accumulated a lot of wealth. You can have that be... About, you know, things that you accumulated or accomplishments you had. But I think it would be so much of a sweeter story if at my funeral you have all these people show up and they can stand up and say something that that he did, something that he shared, a podcast that he recorded or, you know, a book that he wrote, whatever. They can get up and say, because of the life that he lived, I was able to live a better life. So for me, that's a really big weight. That's a really big thing for, I wanna, I have this burning, I can't even, I can't even talk when I'm talking about it. I have this kind of burning desire to have a massive, cause a massive transformation in people's lives, particularly in this kind of young professional world. I mean, not that I have anything against kids or have anything against, you know, older folks, but I feel like this little 25 to 40 world, we have this interesting balance of energy. We have the ideas, the technology, and the time to build out some things that can really solve some big problems in the world. Um, so that's one of the big whys. I want to cause this tr- massive transformation in people's lives. And then the other thing for me is, you know, th- there are things that I want to do um, for my hometown that I, I just don't believe we can sit around, and this is for anybody, I don't believe we can sit around waiting for governments and all this stuff to get it done i think some of the stuff that has to get done is going to come from us just getting it done and i realize that's going to take money that's going to take connections that's going to take influence um but if i can do some things one day start a scholarship fund or build a library build some schools i think that's the kind of stuff again that helps you live on i want to be immortal even though I said I'm talking about my funeral, I want to find things that help me literally become immortal, that, can, that can live on beyond where, beyond my time on The Rock. So the work that I do now keeps on generating returns and keeps on generating good vibes and positive vibes and helping people long after I'm gone. So that's where you see the podcast stuff where, you know, it might be kind of creepy, but if I'm not around anymore, people can still tune into the podcast. So that that's, that's what kind of keeps me... Keeps me going, and also there 's some personal stuff as well, for example, I, you know I want to be able to give my family um, the best opportunities possible, you know, not to spoil the kids with you know all the money and that kind of stuff, but I realized that for for a lot of our generation we 're going out there and we 're competing against folks who are not starting from step one, for example, when I started my first corporate job i 'm coming in and i 'm driving. You know my college car, and I'm driving a basic, I had a Mitsubishi something or the other. But I realized that the people in the office, they're driving the BMW that they got freshman year that's already paid off. So here I am with a car payment, paying rent, trying to figure out life with all these expenses, but they're working already on their stock portfolio because they don't have a car payment. So we, I realized there's some kind of gap here where we're, they're already one step ahead of us. So I'm trying to help this generation of folks to get ourselves together where we don't take this amazing pride all the time and yeah we came up from the bottom now we're here yeah the problem is we keep on having to come up from the bottom we got to we got to stop coming up from the bottom we got to get to a point where we stop feeling guilty for giving our kids or giving or our, our crew or or squad uh, a start in life this is not something to feel guilty about this is how it, this is all the folks you're looking at and wondering how they got there. Yeah, that's generational wealth. That's generational connection. The reason so-and-so got that job, I know we're here on Career Tipper, the people that you're competing against in that interview, yeah, they put in their resume, but somebody put in a phone call on the side because they knew somebody that knew somebody. So I'm trying to help us get to that point where, look, I may not have had that opportunity to have someone make a call on my behalf, but if I can build myself up to the point where I can make the call for somebody else in five years, in 10 years, boom, that's where we're at. Now we're starting to build a foundation that can help us get to the point where we have more money, time, freedom, and also influence. So that's my why, man. I'm really passionate about getting people to that next level. <laughs> Y'all can't see that I'm scared. Michelle's over here dancing. <laughs> we're having a good time.
0: <laughs> like... I'm doing the happy dance over here because I think sometimes people do get caught up and they don't realize why a particular investment in a vehicle is made or why someone chooses to buy a townhouse in college or their parents invest in a townhouse for them in college because they know that most likely they're going to work in that particular town after they Mm -hmm. Graduate. So, to some, that's just common knowledge. Is this is what we're yeah. gonna do? But to some, it's a you know, it's like, hmm, I didn't think about that, or, you know, whatever. Some people think it's normal to have an ongoing car payment. Um,
1: yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's really not.
0: A new car every two years, things of that nature. Some people do that after they have everything in, set up as far as like stocks and um, you know, everything in regards to building up their. Like you said, it's launching that generational wealth. So thank you for that share. <laughs> I think Sorry if I
1: got a little passionate there about that. It's, it's the why, man. So that the fire, you know, just, I was focusing the fire there a little bit. Sorry, I, I got a little excited. I apologize.
0: No apologies needed. None whatsoever. I think it's confirmation for some and an aha for others. And a, mm, I know <laughs> that. So however it falls on the listeners ears, I think it's great. So, yep. It's all good. Now, what systems, Dallin, do you have in place that keeps you on track with scheduling and managing your task and your day? Because you got a lot going on. So what's your system? What are your systems? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So I'll share a couple of them here uh, really quickly. The main thing that keeps my whole crazy world organized is – sounds pretty simple, but it's it's a Google calendar or several Google calendars actually – so because I have these different things going on, you got Office Live, you got gigs on the side with music, podcast stuff, interviews with Career Tipper Podcast, all this important stuff, especially the interviews with Career Tipper Podcast, you know, the most important thing.
0: Thank you. You have all this stuff
1: going on. Um I, I really, it's really a struggle sometimes where you, you don't want to double book yourself and you also want to make sure for every appointment, regardless of what field it's in, you carve out enough time to show up and give your, and be present with your best self. Um, so I use a, a number of Google calendars that are all color coded. I gets a little geeky here. They're all color coded based on the type of thing. So I can literally look at my calendar. If I see something blue or whatever it is, I know that's a personal engagement. That's dinner. If I see green, it's, it's something else. So I use the Google calendar extremely heavily. So it's, it's out there. Folks, it's, it's free. Um, I think the trick that people don't realize sometimes is that even if you have your Gmail account, Within that, you can create more than one calendar. So that's like a little power user tip here. You can create more than one calendar um, that's linked to your one email account. So that keeps you a little bit more organized with, with the different things. Uh, you can even have certain things that are certain calendars that you set to public. So, for example, oh, which leads into the next one, um, the other add-on tool that I use is Calendly. So, C A L I'm going to mess this up, C-A-L-E-N-D-Y, yeah, Calendly.com. Um, they have a free tier that I use. Uh, of course, you get more bigger tips with, uh, with bigger tools, sorry, with the paid tiers. But I really don't like wasting time booking meetings, like, hey, are you free on this? Oh no, I gotta meet. Okay, what about this? No, that's not. You know that 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 fourteen those fourteen to fifteen back and forth emails <laughs> when you're trying to book an appointment. I really that uh, I loathe that process. So when I discovered this service, you know, it links again with your Google Calendar, and you can preset um, windows of time where you have availability for meetings or whatever it is. You can set more than one type of meeting or just one meeting. And for example, if I'm booking a podcast interview with Michelle. It doesn't have to be this long back and forth of when are you available. I send a link, hey, click on this, you will see the times for the next month or whatever it is when I'm available and you book yourself on my calendar. And it's a real clean, simple process, sends an email uh, confirmation to each person and drops it on my calendar, simple and clean. If I change the time, it automatically sends Michelle an update if I need to cancel, whatever it is. So that's a cool tool. And the last one to keep myself organized is Evernote. I am a big Evernote user. I mean, I got tired of having, you know, Post-its here and a little piece of paper in my jacket pocket. And, you know, you got a Word document with all this crazy stuff. I just started using Evernote because with the amount of moving around that you have to do between travel and bouncing around to different places, Evernote is a cool way to keep all your stuff together. Even if I need to drop a voice note, and different types of media as well. So even if I wanna drop a, a quick voice note on a concept that I'm thinking about, I can record that on an Evernote immediately and uh, suddenly it's accessible, on, it's accessible on all my devices. So I use Evernote a lot as well. I think those are the three main ones, man. The Google Calendar, Calend- Calendly, and, uh, and Evernote. Those are the main tools to kinda keep the crazy world under control.
0: Okay, well thanks for the insider insight. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Now, what are a few professional development activities that you do? You know, how do you keep yourself professional development, even on an occasional basis or ongoing basis? What are your activities?
1: Absolutely. So I set, I set a, an aggressive reading calendar. Um, I try to, no, I set this calendar. Sometimes work gets in the way and different things. So I don't get to get it all in there. But I recognize the importance of keeping your own tools sharp. You know, I, especially when you're out here doing the podcasting and stuff, and you're constantly pouring out, um, you you can't get in a, to a place where you think you know everything. You, you know, so you you're constantly reading and researching um, to make sure you're up to up to speed with the things that have happened before, old books, and also the new research that's coming out. So I try to set on my calendar a time each week or each day and say I need to get at least one hour or two hours or three hours or whatever it is of reading done um, for a week. And I'll sit down and I'm always looking for book recommendations or different things. I'm talking to friends, hey, what are you reading right now? What are you reading right now? To try to get that library, even if it's backlogged, up for things I need to focus on. And I'll do that through a mixture of, whether it's Kindle, you know, if I'm downloading a book, or it was Apple Books, iBooks, whatever it is, or Audible, so I can listen in the car. So I'm trying to maximize... I'm trying to. I'm always trying to avoid any kind of wasted time. You know, if I'm in the bathroom, okay, that might be too much information. If I'm on the car in the car driving, I want to make sure I'm doing something with that commute that can help me develop professionally. So that's on the on the self education side. Um, I listen to podcasts like Career Tipper, which I definitely recommend that folks listen to because um, the. The guests Michelle brings on are just, I don't know, absolutely phenomenal um, since I've been listening to the show. So check out Tipper Podcast, as well as others out there, like Michelle is saying. And one of the things I want to start doing this year is, if time permitting, I really want to go to a conference. I, I feel like I, I just want to be in a space where I'm with other like-minded people, uh, so I can soak up some of that energy, share some of the energy with other people, and just be able to hear face-to-face from like a Brendan Bouchard kind of person or you know one of these kind of really powerful powerful speakers. I really want to find a way to go to a conference. So I'm trying to pick which one I want to get lined up and go to. There are a number of them that happen here in Latin America as well. But I'm not sure if my Spanish is up to speed uh, <laughs> on, on that side. So that's that's one thing. Uh, and then the other side is literally just making sure I'm intentional about talking to people that are smarter than me. It's not a casual thing for me. I I'd literally Will seek out persons that either you know persons that might be my network or someone that just seems more knowledgeable, and I will humble myself and sit at their feet and kind of say, "Hey, what are your thoughts on this, that, or other?" Or if it's someone that knows me, "Hey, can you give me a, just just be brutal here? Give me a, a, an unbiased critique of things you think I do well, I don't do well. Where can I improve? You know, just like hurt my feelings if you have to, but I'd rather get my feelings hurt here with you." than risk not developing or going out and doing something wrong. So having some of those people that you have a monthly or a bimonthly kind of chat with on that as someone that's where you want to be that says, even if it's not a formal mentor relationship that says, hey, here are some things I noticed that you've been doing or here are some things you can think about um, to really get your professional development up to speed. So that's my little trifecta of uh, of things that I do.
0: I like the trifecta, and I, too, want to start attending podcast conferences. Um, This is definitely a sweet spot for me, podcasting. And so I want to network with even more podcasters and Uh just learn. Um, And I agree, you should always have people around you that you can learn from. It's so important. It's so important. Yeah,
1: I, I, think, I think that's a crucial piece that people miss out on, especially when, especially when you start moving up a little bit in the ranks. You know, you start you know, feeling your little ego a little bit and you think, you know, you got, the, you got the car, you got the job, you got some kind of fancy title in the office. You know, it's easy to get sucked into that whole world cause you, you have to be confident. Um, but you can't let your confidence totally cloud your humility, humility uh, and realizing that you're always a student. Like you, you can't stop being a student. The minute you think you're in first place, you're probably on your way to last place. you got to just live live in second place. you got to live thinking that there's someone ahead of you or, and someone coming to get you um, that pushes you to, to stay sharp and stay humble.
0: Humbleness is everything. Yeah. Humbleness can yeah. be um, a reason why you're picked because people can be humbled that you're such an intelligent person and you feel like you still have so much to learn. People want to work with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, as we're talking about it here real quick, a side note, I mean, the the humility thing, I think, is so powerful because people will watch the way you treat other people um, and what kinds of people you treat which way. What I mean by that is they watch whether you react a certain way just to people that you think are of high stature or have a certain amount of money or they're higher up in the organization or like how many people know the name of the janitor in their office. You know, if you like I I live in the building I live in, you know, I try to be really intentional about the the workers in the building, the folks who are taking out the trash and painting the walls and doing the maintenance. You know, I I know the folks I know, you know, Joaquin, I know Aween, I know the I know the different people. And it's not just a matter of I'm doing it to make myself feel noble. It's a matter of making sure that you take time to see people deeply And that'll keep you kind of in check and realizing that each person that you encounter on your journey, like they they have value, man. Like I might be working in a private bank to help my family, you know, eat and live through life, but they're working, too. And that is just as honorable as any fancy job that you're doing. So it, it really helps you just stay grounded and stay humble. So treat people well, man. Be kind.
0: Kindness is key. Kindness is key. So, how has self discipline helped you with your communication and also your professional interactions with your colleagues?
1: Yeah, the self discipline thing. I think it's it's one of those skills that rolls through um, rolls to a lot of different parts of your your commute. Not just your commute on the road, but your commute through through the professional life. Um, I try to encourage people with the self discipline thing. The challenge folks have is that they try to compartmentalize. Discipline and say, Oh, yeah, I'm gonna be really disciplined about exercising. Or they say, I'm gonna be real disciplined, really disciplined about work. Well, the, you, you can't really turn it on and off, so to speak. You either gotta be a disciplined person or you're not, you know? And as you're trying to learn this whole concept of self so discipline, I tell people all the time, like, Look, just start with something simple. Like, don't, don't try to say, Oh, I'm gonna go. And I'm going to do you know, this workout 15 times a day. Start with something ridiculous. Literally start with something that seems super – like, for example, I got a water bottle here. Start with something. See if you can get your brain into the concept of being disciplined. For example, just say, look, every day I'm going to fill up this water bottle. To ha- but pick something really weird. Like I'm going to fill it up halfway. I'm not going to fill up all the way every day. I'm going to remember to do that and see if you can get yourself into doing that. Or every day, I'm going to put my car keys, my wallet, and whatever else you normally take in the same place every day. Or every day, I'm going to make my bed. Start with something su- super obscure and just get yourself into that discipline. Now, what you're doing it seems weird, but it's almost one of those Mr. Miyagi paint the fence kind of things, where you know you're training your brain into a skill. Now, you can then take that skill once you have it and apply it to all these bigger things like you know projects in the office, communication, professional interactions, and all these things. Um, one of the things I like to try to do now with the professional side of it is be very responsive. Now, this is a funny topic because you know, cell phones and all this stuff, people want you to respond immediately and this and that. But one of the things I try to be disciplined about is not necessarily giving an elaborate response immediately. But acknowledging requests. Hey, I got your email. Give me a second. Let me think about that. I can respond to you tomorrow in depth. I'm on the road right now, but I just want you to know that I see you. You know, try to be really disciplined about that kind of stuff. Or uh, if you have a project to get done, again, I talked about the saxophone discipline thing, really trying to get over this whole procrastination stuff. Because the thing is, you, if you're trying to move yourself from average to amazing, like, you're going you're gonna to procrastinate, and you're going to get it done. You're going to get it done. You're a high performer. If you're listening to a you know, career tip or podcast, you're the kind of person who's already driven. So you know you're going to get it done. But look at this. If you can give B-plus work by crunching it into two days, you could probably give A-plus work if you got it done in a week, all right? So let's start just getting it done in that week. Give yourself that time and break yourself down into pieces, and that has a lot to do with taking more time to breathe, in the front of something, and plan it out. Spend a day planning it out. So think about what you're trying to do, map it out a little bit, before just jumping into a task and and going crazy about it. And those kind of little things, I think, really help with the professional interactions. People can see how organized you are, especially on the communication side. Um, You know, If I'm doing the podcast stuff, I don't have a, I'm on social media, and I'm pretty active on Twitter, but, I don't have time to burn doing all this stuff. So I use another tool called Meet Edgar where I'll sit down on a Sunday and I'll program all the craziness I want to say during the week about podcast episodes, jokes, questions, a lot of stuff. So that at least that initial reach out is programmed and then I can spend time doing the interaction. So that, again, that's a a level of self-discipline to sit down on a Sunday and think about what you want to say on Thursday.
0: True. Same thing. Yeah, I agree. I think it is discipline to figure all that out because you're trying to make sure you're present. Right. Right. For what's important. In addition to your passion, you're trying to be present with your family. You're trying to make sure you're fully present on your job. So you don't have you leave room for distraction and excuses. Right. So I think is very key. Now, Dallin, I know that earlier you talked about sometimes practicing self-discipline. Can be mundane, basically it 's like you, like you were saying, like you focus on learning and mastering the note of B, so what does striving for excellence mean to you in spite of inconvenience, you know obstacles, inner resistance because that 's really key, and then even the tendency to procrastinate or give up, like what makes you have that laser vision for striving for excellence
1: yeah it's a great question. I think a lot of it comes down to the first part is some stuff we talked about before which is always keeping your why in the front of your mind. Um, there's a book called Start With Why, uh, and I believe it's by, I want to say, Simon Sinek. The book called Start With Why, I think it's Simon Sinek. I might be wrong about that if I remember correctly. I think it's Simon Sinek. But he has a book called Start With Why, and it really spends. Uh, he really spends a lot of time going into leading you through this exercise about you know, what is it, why are you doing what you're doing? Like, what is the, what is the need that you're trying to feed? You know, what is it, what's your, what's the deeper reason behind it? So no matter what I'm doing, I started really spending a little bit of time. I would literally take two minutes and think about, okay, if I, well, if I do this project well, it's going to cause this outcome. And I'm more concerned about the outcome than the project. Therefore, I need to make sure I do the project extremely well because I'm really passionate about this outcome. So the why is a big part of it. The other part is I'm always thinking about transformation. I'm always thinking about if someone is here, point A, how can I get them to point B in the most luxurious, how can I make it the smoothest, simplest, like just friction-free manner to get them to that next place? Um, so the transformation side of it is, is the big side as well. And I spend a lot of time, this is probably the biggest part of it when you talk about striving for Excellence. I'm really big on personal brands. But I don't and I don't I don't just mean personal brand in terms of your clothes or your style of dress. I mean like what are you about? You know, for example, if you look through I, I try to design myself through it, it doesn't matter whether it's music, whether it's corporate world, if it's podcasting. You know, I want my brand overall to be associated with excellence, with with stuff that just looks visually appealing. It sounds good. It's kind of sexy. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's a little bit luxury, but it's also kind of rustic and, and grassroots. And I want those elements to be present in all the things I do. So no matter what I'm doing, if if I'm, you know, typing an email or if I'm putting out a podcast out there, stuff just has to be done a certain way because I can't afford to have this little side piece that's not consistent with that personal brand. So I encourage folks all the time to use your personal brand as a filter. If someone says, you know, can you come perform at, at this particular event? Well, I'm like, send me a picture of the restaurant. I don't know if I want, I don't know if I want to be seen performing at this particular place or this kind of event. Um, or let me send me your bio. I know you're looking at me. I mean, I don't know if I want to be associated with what you're doing. Because my brand is excellent, you know what I mean? So you start thinking about the elements of your personal brand and filtering all the stuff you want to do through that. And that'll lead into the tendency to procrastinate because you're keeping your end goal in mind. You know, you're talking about the things that you want to accomplish. And you know, I don't want to take long. I'm going to rush. I'm going to rush to get things done. So I can't afford to, to have procrastination in these things um, creep in and delay my arrival. You don't want you don't want procrastination to delay your arrival to the destination of greatness, to that destination of financial freedom, or whatever it is. The longer you take fiddle around doing things, it's just gonna make you take more, spend more time at this level. And you, you don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to spend all this time peeping through that little weird curtain that they close when you're on an airplane and you're in coach. And they keep, it op- you see, this is how they keep it open long enough while you're on the ground so you can see first class. You can see them getting some wine and some tea and all that stuff. And just before they're about to take off, you hear, shh, shoo- and they close that curtain. But it's not even a real curtain. You can see through the curtain. It's just a mental trigger to you to let you know that you're not up here. All right? So you don't want to get stuck in coach looking at first class because you're procrastinating or you're not living in you know, in the spirit of excellence
0: I love that analogy mm-hmm. love that analogy so much I love analogies anyway so it's all good I love that one too yeah. so wh- what's next on your to-do list I know you got something brewing so what's next on your success to-do list Do let us know
1: next up on the to-do list is obviously we're still rocking a podcast doing all this stuff um, we started Bring in guests on the podcast, so Michelle's going to be a guest here shortly i 'm just going to put that out there force her to commit right here live on the air, uh, so she'll be a guest at some point talking about some stuff. Um, but next up on the podcast uh, on the, on the on the whole table here is getting into the video world i have it 's weird i, I don 't have any fear i don 't have a big fear of being on stage talking to people, but for some reason i 've had this weird fear of being on camera and being on video talking to people. I guess it's that same anti-narcissistic, like, why do people want to look at me on a, on a video screen? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to be seen. But I realized that it's a different level of engagement and there's some things that we can just explain better and add a different kind of value to people through video. So we're getting ready to launch the YouTube channel. Probably by the time this podcast goes live on the air, the YouTube channel will be up. So youtube.com slash Dallin V. We'll have a couple of different things out there, inspirational, uh, especially educational. Where we're doing webinar type material, and just breaking down some essential career advice that will get you uh, more money, time, and freedom. So, if you're interested in any of those three things—money, time, freedom—definitely check out the YouTube channel. So, YouTube.com/slash V is next on the burner.
0: I will be checking that out. YouTube is booming just Mm -hmm. as much as podcasting. So I love that you're expanding your brand to include that platform. I think that's awesome. Now, Dallin, I appreciate you being on the podcast career tipper podcast. It's been a true delight, but before you go, we end every episode with our signature, um, ending of you sharing a favorite quote or affirmation that keeps you creating career tipping moments.
1: Absolutely. So I had an uncle that told me this one time, you know, he said, he said to me, you know, people always say you have to learn from your mistakes. It's probably say you have to learn from mistakes, but the, tr- the trick is you don't have to make all the mistakes yourself. And I think that for me really kind of was an eye opener, um, realizing that you don't have to experience all this stuff, but if you can, again, stay humble pay attention to other people and the things that they've done wrong, not just the glory story that you see on Instagram, but spend the time really researching their journey. You'll see the mistakes that they made, and you can learn from those and make sure you don't repeat them.
0: Simple but true. Yep. Yep. Now, how can listeners get in touch with you?
1: Sir, uh, absolutely. I am on social media, and I keep this really simple. Anything you want to know about the podcast, it's the same handle, at Focus the Fire, And if you want to keep up with any of my shenanigans, it's at Dallin V. So Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, it's all at Dallin V. D-A-L-A-N-V. And of course, the podcast is over at FocusTheFire.com.
0: Love it. And you can find me, Michelle Beatty, at CareerTipper.com, on Instagram and Facebook at CareerTipper, Twitter, CareerTipper1. And please listen and continue to listen and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. Thanks for joining and remember to be confidently you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Career Tipper podcast. We're grateful for our listeners and guests. For more resources about how to evolve to your professional best, share your comments and feedback about this episode and your suggestions for future guests, visit careertipper.com. Until next time, be confidently you.